All right, I don't know if I'm uh, going to get an intro here or if it's just on me. So I'll take it. Eight minutes after 10 o'clock as we continue into hour number two on AM 1420. The answer, thanks for joining us on this Tuesday edition, the 27th morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2021. Critical race theory in America. What is it? It's uh, a pack of lies, basically. It's ahistorical. It's racist in and of itself, intrinsically racist. And it's when you listen to it, it's you know, fundamentally insane and dumb, but nonetheless, it's very pernicious, it's metastasizing throughout the country, so many school districts now have adopted it, and it posits that the founding of America was based on slavery and racism, and therefore, all the systems and institutions of America are intrinsically racist also, and must be uprooted and and removed. As if we haven't already spent enough blood and treasure to remove exactly that. That voice you probably recognized as Peter Kersenhaus. He was on Fox and News, uh, Fox and Friends, rather, on Fox News on Saturday morning, and he joins us now for his regular Tuesday visit from the United States Commission on Civil Rights, as well as his law practice here in Cleveland. Uh, good morning, Pete. How are you, sir? Doing well. I thought that was Dershowitz. <laughs> uh, no, that's another brilliant lawyer uh, from an Ivy League school, but the wrong one. Uh, all right, so Peter Kersenhaus. Uh, I just had an interview with Dan Regenold, who has filed the lawsuit against the State of Ohio Board of Education. And I know you're busy every morning. I don't know how much you can hear or can't hear of my show. So uh, just in a nutshell, he filed the lawsuit against Laura Kohler, the president of the Ohio Board, as well as several other board members, ostensibly because they refused to allow anyone to debate anything having to do with race in the Board of Education, even if the Board of Education is making policy decisions based on race being taught and how it's being taught in Ohio schools K through 12. They will not hear anyone condemning, criticizing the 1619 Project, condemning, criticizing, debating, discussing uh, critical race theory. Uh, they are essentially saying we don't have to listen to the people and especially the parents of the children that we are going to indoctrinate. Uh, so that lawsuit has just been filed, in fact, a week ago yesterday on April 19th. Your thoughts from both a legal perspective, Pete, on a lawsuit um, to at least open the conversation in the Board of Education, and then secondly, from the civil rights perspective that you uh, hold, of course, as a member of the uh, of the commission. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm happy that somebody challenged this, and um, it's uh, part of a number of efforts, um, uh, grassroots efforts on behalf of uh, opposition to critical race theory, the Resolution 20 that was passed by the State Board of Education this last summer, that uh, would inculcate within Ohio schools 1619. No matter what they say, you know, you look at the language, it's pretty clear, and it's happening. It's happening. The 1619 Project, which is so ahistorical and foments racial division on steroids, is being taught in our schools, and that unleashed a firestorm. Parents uh, parent groups, a whole host of individuals on a regular basis every month at the State Board of Education meeting would speak out against it. And, of course, the State Board of Education, or many of the members, got a little upset about that. And so the president, along with some others on the State Board of Education, barred individuals, just flat-out barred individuals from talking on this one subject. And what you have to understand, as the lawsuit, I haven't uh, read the entire complaint, but um, my understanding is, and just skimming it and knowing 
generally what the type of attack would be on this is, among other things, you've got potential violations of First Amendment, 14th Amendment, 42 U.S. USC 1983. There's a whole host of issues, and I'm presuming that it has invoked those because it is, among other things, uh, uh, let me back up. The State Board of Education has a duty to provide a public forum to citizens of the state of Ohio to speak upon matters of concern related to education. In fact, there's a specific provision related to that. And so the lawsuit seizes upon that because... That's in the, the ORC? Policy, uh, yeah, the, the, board of, the board's policies and procedures manual specifically, it's not part of the ORC specifically, but it's okay. part of the board's uh, procedures manual that specifically gives the public the ability to address the board during business meetings. Okay. So, so, so hold on. I just want to understand this because if it's in the board's policies and procedures manual, uh, then do they have the right then to ostensibly change that because they're the ones who impl- I'm assuming they wrote it. I'm assuming the board or a board at some point wrote that and can it be amended at will? I guess is my question because I'm well, looking at it, this from a legal perspective and can they yeah, do that? Yeah, I, I think it, it may be, maybe it does. I don't know the answer to that because I'm not okay. sure that was set forth in the complaint. Okay. okay. But, but put it this way, what was set forth in the complaint is that apparently there was no reference whatsoever to any amendment. This was simply an edict issued from the state board of it, uh, the, the state board president, which was concurred in by several members of the board. Right. Uh, it didn't change the policy. They didn't change the policy. They simply said, with respect to this one issue, we're not entertaining comments from members of the public but there's nothing in that policy in that in that guideline or manual or whatever we're calling it uh policies and procedures that says uh that the board shall engage the public and listen to the public when it comes to matters of education etc subject to board members uh uh, discernment or anything of that nature what it says is the only limitation it permits is that uh you can cut off the testimony after five minutes Okay? okay, and place other further reasonable limitations on it. But you get five minutes. You get five minutes to speak, and the Constitution permits that you speak on matters without viewpoint discrimination. Uh-huh. Okay, that you can't. What you can't do is say we're not speaking on matters of race. Okay, or you can only speak in a certain way with respect to matters of race. That's, that's in the Ohio Constitution. Constitution. That's in Ohio and federal constitution. And federal. I mean, okay. not, not, yeah, exactly. I mean, viewpoint, it, the, the progeny or the, the cases that have been decided under the First Amendment, for example, hold that. And, you know, there's an equal protection clause also with respect to, you know, um, you, you have got the right to be equally protected on certain matters and can't discriminate on the basis of race, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the complaint sets forth all of these all, all of these. Um, allegations. We'll see how how it turns out. I I tend to think that the board overreached here by simply kind of cavalierly saying, no, we're not talking about this issue of of public concern. And, you know, only if you speak positively about these things, or we're not going to entertain this one particular subject matter at all. We'll talk about anything else, but we're not going to talk about this at all. And it happens to be the hottest issue out there. Everybody wants to speak about this, mainly against Resolution 20, and that's the reason why the public debate was cut off. Yeah. Among other things, put aside the law. This is not the way to make public policy. When you have a board that decides it's going to implement a radical change to education, I mean a truly radical change, critical race theory and 1619 project are, I would argue, the biggest threat 
to American viability since the Civil War. Uh, I don't. I say that with due consideration for all the threats that have faced us, including external threats. But this is one that has the capacity to undermine everything we know and love about the United States of America, because it's essentially a Marxist-slash-Gramscian doctrine. That is, it is truly socialism that is being brought in in the guise of equal rights or equal opportunity. It has nothing to do with equal rights and equal opportunity. It has to actually do with preferential rights and, prefer- and, and preferring certain ideologies and certain races over others. And when you, all you have to do, Bob, get beyond the theory of critical race theory and look at its implementation in practice and what it has done in other jurisdictions to children who are subjected to it and the outrage that it's invoked or or provoked among parent groups. The reason is, among other things, look at some of the examples. They will teach children that whites are privileged. And no matter what, you know, you could be coming from Appalachia, but you have a certain privilege that elevates you or gives you an advantage over anybody of color. And for that reason, because of your white supremacy, you must be suppressed or your advantages must be affirmatively suppressed. It's truly extraordinary. They, they tell kids that you come from an oppressor group. It tells kids to rank their privilege based on how much melanin they have. It, it is an astonishing thing. We are teaching racial discrimination to kids as young as five years old. Hey, let, so me, let, me, feel- let me build on that for a second, because you're right, obviously. Um, I, I I kind of expanded on this with Dan Reganold, who filed this lawsuit last half hour too. Um, critical race theory, and I'm and I'm borrowing a line or a headline from somewhere that I can't recall, or else I would give attribution. But it was along the lines of critical race theory isn't just about a lesson or a unit or even a a a policy of education in schools. It isn't just a corporate training session. Critical race theory is being forced on Americans as a new way of life, where it literally, you don't escape it once I pass that class, or once I graduate that school, now I can go back to seeing things normally. You can't anymore. It literally will have invaded and will pervade throughout throughout all of our li- our, our lifestyles, our interactions, our working in in every social set uh, that that we ever encounter. Yeah, that I think you may have gotten that from the piece I had in the Federalist about critical race theory. Maybe it but was. In any event, but but in any event, uh, that's that's right, and it is. Um, uh, I'll say it again, greatest threat of our lifetimes easily, bare minimum the greatest threat to American continued viability of our lifetimes, and it infiltrates every aspect of your life. It has already done so. It is spread at such an astonishing rate. Look, as a member of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, you've heard me say this very often. If you want to know what the left has planned for the for the country in five years or ten years, come to a Civil Rights Commission meeting today. Well, of course, critical race theory was kind of percolating out there for a while, but it's really taken off in the last year, but you know, maybe a year to two years. At, at, at a dizzying pace, it's infiltrated not just our schools, K through 12, it's been at the college level for a long time, but it's now in our corporations, in our law firms, in the military, West Point, which is extraordinarily troubling, and, and, throughout, uh, and throughout the rest of the military. 
bureaucracies, state governments. It is everywhere. It's being taught affirmatively, major corporations. And if you dissent from the critical race orthodoxy, (laughs) you may suffer the least of your concerns should be losing your job. You could be totally canceled from society in terms of not having any kind of access to even job opportunities um, and ostracization from, you know, your peer groups. Uh, this is not American. The closest it's a remarkable to- thing that they've done here, Pete. I apologize. We're going to get our break here anyway, though. But it's a remarkable thing that they've done. You started to say, or when you said, uh, you know, if you dissent, you can lose not only your job, but your reputation and other things, and ostracize from society. But the, the amazing thing they've done here is that if you dissent or disagree with or even want to openly debate in a fair and civil way, it is evidence of your racism. Yeah. Catch you, you 22. De- yeah, you, you literally, it's the heads I win, tails you lose mentality. Uh, and they've managed to, to incorporate that into CRT and make it make sense to too many people. Peter Kirsten, I'll stay there. We'll come right back with more on this uh, after this time out, AM 1420. The Okay, one more short segment with Kersenow on critical race theory. Then we'll get to some other issues. But, Pete, um, I played this uh, last half hour before my, or I beg your pardon, an hour ago before my interview with Dan Reginald. This is a very short portion of the latest PragerU video narrated by James Lindsay on critical race theory. And I think this just does such a great job of explaining at an elementary level what CRT is. Listen. To see how this works, consider this thought experiment. Imagine you own a shop and two customers enter at the same time, one white and one black. Who do you help first? If you help the black person first, critical race theory would say you did so because you don't trust black people to be left alone in your store. That's racist. If you help the white person first instead, critical race theory would say you did so because you think blacks are second-class citizens. That's racist, too. That's critical race theory. It can find racism in anything even if it has to read your mind to do it. And, Pete, I just found that so perfect. That's what I love about PragerU, because they can illustrate things to simple-minded people like me and not just high-level academics like you. You, you, Everybody understands that, and it's true. According to proponents of CRT, the shop owner in that instance is damned if he does and damned if he doesn't. Best thing is probably to stand there and help nobody. Yeah, and it's best to understand this through the prism of Marxist power. Read Marx, read Antonio Gramsci, especially cultural uh, uh, Marxism. This grants them power because no matter what, they get to determine who the winners and losers are. They get to determine whether or not you pass the test. And that's essentially what this is all about. If you read your history related to the Soviet Union's attempts to undermine the West Uh, specifically the United States of America, this was one of their essential uh, uh, points. They tried for more than 50 years to undermine the United States by fomenting racial discord. They did it actively. The KGB did it before them, the NKVD. It it is part of their playbook, and they're probably, the old communist commissars are probably rolling over in their grave saying, boy, you know, we weren't able to accomplish it, but they're doing it to themselves right now, and that's specifically what's going on. One of the things that's interesting about this is so much of our academic uh, concerns right now revolve around 
critical race and everything dealing with, in, in, frankly, inculcating racism in our kids. We are drowning in this. We're lowering our standards as a result of this, actively doing so. You're seeing it happening throughout the country where they claim math is racist. There are places in, in the country, Virginia, for example, where they are eliminating advanced courses because that is racist. Uh, What's happening at the same time is that's not going on in places where our adversaries like China. China, they're not consumed with all of this. They're smiling at the fact that we are so preoccupied with this that we're not teaching reading, writing, arithmetic. China, number one, is uh, China right now is number one in the world in math, reading, and science. We are, and I know in one of the, I don't remember the exact categories, but I believe it in math, we're, we rank 30th. And that's right now saw that before too. we get into the craziness of critical race theory and luring such, all of our Such standards. as erasing, like you said, erasing high-level math because not enough people of color can do it well. And that those high-level math classes are almost exclusively comprised of Asian and white students, and therefore that makes black kids feel bad. What I would think would make black people generally feel bad, Peter Kersenow, and as one, maybe you can speak to this, um, what would make me feel bad about my race, in fact, not really about my race, but about white perceptions of my race, telling me that um, I can't achieve achieve at that high level so we'll erase the high level it is it is a complete insult it's like saying i can't get an id to vote I, i'm less than i'm less capable you're going to get rid of the high level math classes and rob other kids of doing it because you don't think i can do it too i would think it, that just as a race it would be extraordinarily insulting you it, know to the is, entire black population it's patronizing condescending inherently racist putting up with Putting up with this kind of stuff is an abomination, and we should call it out for what it is. It is the essence of racism in 2021. This, this is unacceptable in the United States of America. It should be unacceptable anywhere, but it's hurting all of these kids. It's doing real damage to our kids. When you see, I've heard, again, parents have called me from all over the country giving me these horror stories of kids coming home crying, kids, you know, concerned that they are racist, and, you know, they don't even know what it means. They just know right. it's bad. This is child abuse. It is evil. It is hurting the country. It is the complete and utter opposite of Martin Luther King's prescription of content of character versus color of skin. How we got to this point, well, you know, there's a, we could debate how we allowed it to get to this point, but what we do know is this must be stopped in its tracks, or we will not have the United States of America. I can't emphasize that enough. Ron DeSantis passed an, or, or issued an executive order banning the teaching of critical race theory in Florida public schools. That's a start. 49 more governors to go. Uh, I don't know that we have one of them that is going to be willing to do that, which is why we're going to have to keep the pressure on our representatives and, yes, our school board members as well. Peter Kirsten now returns with us for another segment after this. All right, 1035 now. We continue with Peter Kirsten now on AM 1420. The answer Tuesday is always Kirsten now. Day Pete. Since Tuesday is Kersenau Day, you and I had already spoken last week before the incident happened in Columbus, Ohio, that led to the death of 16-year-old Makai Bryant. So I want to ask you about that, and then I want to ask you about uh, LeBron James 
and celebrities in general. First, just a brief recounting for those who don't know the specifics. It took a total of 11 seconds for Officer Nicholas Reardon to exit his car when he was called by radio to uh, a home where a domestic incident was escalating and threats of people being stabbed uh, uh, was received. He shows up there, and in 11 seconds from the time he got out of his car and saw a larger girl that I wouldn't have guessed was 16 based on her size, but that's really irrelevant. What was in her hand is more relevant. She's chasing a girl with a blade, swinging it at her. The girl falls to the ground, which is the best fall she's ever taken, because that allowed her to avoid the knife. Then the girl, which turned out to be Micaiah Bryant, turned and went after victim number two, who didn't have anywhere to fall. She was pinned up against the car. The car, Literally in mid-backswing of the knife, either going to come into the neck or plunged in between her ribs, Lord only knows where, the officer fired four shots, stopping the knife attack in progress. Uh, Peter Kersenow, that's the beginning and the end of the story. The beginning and the end of the protesting and the narrative, of course, is very, very different. Headlines across the state of the country read, Ohio cops shoot 16-year-old black girl. Never mind the arm, never mind the attack, never mind the attempted murder. This is, was the narrative. Uh, chief among those responding in such a way, was LeBron James. King James, the cop hater, and he is nothing but a cop hater, and every single time he takes to Twitter, uh, he almost uh, emphasizes that, uh, tweeted a picture of Nicholas Reardon and a caption that read, You're next. Hashtag accountability. Um, to say that that, uh, you know, he received a, a lot of backlash from that is an understatement. He took it down within a couple of hours because he was getting hammered for such a blatant threat to a police officer. So, Peter Kersenow, I want you to speak to the situation as much as you want or don't want to because it is rather, rel- relatively clear, but also speak to LeBron James and to a police officer in Los Angeles who is very well known. Um, whose name escapes me at the moment. I want to say it's Dion, uh, Dion Joseph, uh, Dion Joseph, that's him. A black police officer in L.A. has written an open letter to LeBron requesting a meeting with him so that he can educate him a little bit on policing. Uh, do you think LeBron would be wise to accept such a meeting, and what are your thoughts? Well, <laughs> would he be wise to accept such a meeting? Um, you know, wisdom comes in a number of forms, and I'm not sure that LeBron James has the wisdom to do that. Um, you know, I'm, I, I would tell you that what we saw with respect to the Columbus shooting is kind of the distillation of a number of things, stupidity being one of them. Um, you know, the, the old saying about certain events make it easier to spot the idiots. Uh, you know, it's, it's truly applicable to Lebr- LeBron James and the cohort of individuals who are second-guessing what I consider to be a heroic policeman who, by the way, I'm in, in, in awe of his marksmanship skills under such duress with another person right behind the person who was attempting to murder her, and he was able to shoot four times in rapid succession without hitting anybody else. Now, it's a tragedy that anybody got killed. But the fact of the matter is he was stopping a crime in progress that could have resulted in the death or serious injury to another innocent human being. And then, it, again, it makes it easier to spot the idiots. Certain events makes it easier to spot the idiots, and all the idiots came forward. Some people didn't, but it was astonishing as to how many people with a high profile start saying some of the most insane and stupid things imaginable. Anyone, and I, you know, I plead guilty to being a horrific marksman. 
and I'm in awe of people who can, you know, place a, sh- a shot within, say, two f- two feet of 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 a, of a target. But nonetheless, we had these immediate experts on mark- marksmanship, like uh, Joy Behar and others, <laughs> come out and say, "Well, he should have shot out the leg." I mean, they think everybody's dirty, hairy, or Rambo or something. They've been watching way too much. Uh, TV, and as we've always said... But it wasn't even just a nut like her, by the way. Um, uh, A quote-unquote actual news reporter at the press conference covering the chief that day said the same thing. Why didn't didn't your officer shoot in the leg or shoot in the arm or shoot in the butt or something like that just to disable her rather than actually have to kill her? And what you said, Pete, at the beginning is the answer to that question. You aim at a tiny target like that, chances are pretty good you're going to kill the victim that she's trying to stab in the first place. Uh, you know, you shoot center mass because that's the easiest place to hit, and that's the only way police have ever been trained. Yeah. Um, there's so much to say about this, but again, it, it, we've spotted who the idiots are, and one of them is LeBron James. This is particularly vile, what he did, um, standing alone. But considering that it was just within the last year or so, he condemned people for challenging or condemning rightly the communist Chinese government and its mass extermination of the Uyghur population. Mm -hmm. LeBron James condemned an NBA official for supporting Hong Kong, for example, in its endeavor to remain free. And yet LeBron James condemns a police officer who saved a black life, because we know that's all LeBron seems to care about. He saved a black life because, unfortunately, someone was wielding a steak knife and was about to stab her. Now, maybe it was just, maybe the person wouldn't have died, but we don't know that. It's, it's extraordinary what's happening. Well, Pete, and, well, Pete, you know, Pete, here's, here's, here's the context that not a lot of people talked about, and I brought it up on my show that very next day. But the day before this, in, um, in uh, uh, Cincinnati, hold on a second here, I've got a... I'm sorry, I had a... I had a virtual assistant here that started to make noise. Uh, <laughs> shut up, Alexa. Anyway, um, Pete, the day before that, in Cincinnati, a 13-year-old black girl stabbed another 13-year-old black girl. Actually, didn't stab her, ended up slashing her as she swung a pocket knife at her. A pocket knife! let alone a big old steak knife like uh, Micaiah Bryant was carrying. This 13-year-old girl got slashed across the neck and bled out and died at the hospital, literally on Monday last week, the day before this. So you had a 13-year-old black girl stab another 13-year-old black girl to death. I bet the victim in that case in Cincinnati wishes there was an officer on scene to stop her daughter from being slashed across the neck and killed. Yeah, before we became collectively insane in this country, that would have been a given, right? Uh, and, you know, we were just discussing the last segment, Critical Race Theory, and I think it has contributed in part to that. Yeah. But, Bob, I know you've probably been exposed to this most than almost anybody because you hear from people, members of the public, that so many people, ordinary people in the country now, think we've gone insane in the last couple of years. We've gone in, and become incredibly stupid. Uh, you know, I think I may have discussed this with you once before, but I read about 40 years ago a 
yeah, really kind of mediocre novel. I was ill. My wife brings home this novel called IQ 83. Not the greatest literature in the world, but it, it's about this idea that some scientists have been working on a virus. The virus escapes. It causes everybody's IQ to drop proportionately, very slowly. People don't realize their IQs are going down. And I think that was not fiction now. I'm starting to wonder whether or not that's going on. In the last couple of years, we've been subjected to so much stupidity and insanity. The, the bad news is it's not fiction. It's hurting society. It's hurting people. And LeBron James, you know, should stick to difficult things like playing basketball. When he starts opining upon things, he has to know what his limitations are. And I think people should be able to say or do anything they want to, but at least give some consideration to the opinion you're about to issue. And he does it in this kind of imperial way, because, of course, he is King James, as if he actually knows anything. It's clear he hasn't thought the matter through, and he's surrounded by sycophants who are telling him how great and smart he is. Um, you know, look, free speech, you can talk uh, as much as you want to, but we have to understand he has an enormous following and has a lot of power and sway. And unfortunately, there's a significant segment of the population that will readily be motivated or swayed by him versus somebody who may have a couple more brain cells working. Pete, I've got one more question on LeBron for you, but real quick. I think that virus in IQ83 you're talking about escaped from a lab inside the Democratic National Convention in 2016. <laughs> right. I think, and I think it may have, uh, it may have uh, touched everybody in the room. Um, all right, Pete. LeBron's actions were idiotic, as you just illustrated perfectly. Uh, were they criminal? I talked to one cop who said that if the officer in question here, who was named and said you're next, and pictured rather, and said you're next, wanted to file a charge for aggravated menacing, he could absolutely do that, and LeBron James would have to answer to that in a court of law in Columbus, if Nicholas Reardon wanted to do, to do that. Now, the odds are he does not, but was it criminal what LeBron James did by saying you're next with his picture? Did it almost kind of put a target on him? Was it aggravated menacing? I don't know, but there are statutes, ordinances throughout the country dealing with matters similar to this, where, you know, you know there are anti-doxing statutes, for example, where you put, place somebody's uh, health and welfare in jeopardy by doing things that may provoke somebody to take some kind of action. You know, there may be charges brought against you. Whether or not this was, I'd have to give it a little bit more thought. I, I hate opining off the top of my head about matters like this, especially since it's out of my wheelhouse. But nonetheless... If it was not criminal, it was nonetheless very wrong and very dangerous. Um, it was only a few months ago that the same media that lavishes praise on LeBron James would go absolutely apoplectic when Donald Trump would say some of the most innocuous things by Twitter. They would claim Donald Trump is endangering America, making the place less safe. And it was idiotic, of course, what they were alleging. But when it comes to things with which they at least nominally agree, or people that they don't disapprove of and actually approve of like LeBron James, you hear crickets, you hear complete silence. And one of the reasons we're in the position we're in today is because we have a completely corrupt and irresponsible media that is on the side of LeBron James. They, you know, they, they agree with him. Um, and some of them are not just corrupt. I mean, they're... You're right. I'm not sure that they can actually think their way out of a paper bag. <laughs> they don't look at not, not just the short-term consequences, but the long-term consequences of what they're doing here. So you can see the, uh, the, the slant that they're taking with respect to almost every shooting of a person of color by a cop, regardless of who the cop is, regardless of the situation, if you walk past the television, you can see the slant they take. And the, the, as I've said before, Bob, when you take a look at 
whether or not blacks are disproportionately shot by cops. It's one of the big lies in this country. Only a few people in the country are attempting to refute it, such as Heather McDonald, but they're being swamped by the, the chorus in throughout the media. It's pervasive throughout the media. Right. It is a great lie. One of the reasons why we've got the situation we have today is because a lot of people believe the narrative that cops are disproportionately shooting black individuals. In fact, there's a poll shown based on what your ideology is. Very, very liberal, liberal, conservative, very conservative. How many blacks do you think were shot in the last year? And the very liberals thought that more than 5,000 uh, individuals are not just shot, but killed right, by cops. Right. And the true figure on a, on a yearly basis is anywhere from 10 to 12. Well, Pete, okay? in the Oscars, in the Oscars two nights ago, not that anybody noticed it because they had less than 10 million viewers, by far the worst ratings they've ever had. But uh, uh, one of the Oscar winners, and I can't remember his name, and I don't know what he does, and I don't care. But I do know what I do care about is that he declared that today three people will be killed by cops. Tomorrow, three people, people the day after, blah, blah, blah. He said, and we know this because over 1,000 people are killed every year by police officers, the vast majority of which are black. This is what he said. There were 18 unarmed black males shot by police officers in the year 2020. 18. And and the the unarmed part of that, of course, is always in question because, as we have discussed, they may be trying to drive somebody, run over somebody with a, with a vehicle. They may be uh, in a fight and trying to take the cop's gun from him. Or they may have just dropped it right before the shooting, and then they are declared to be unarmed. So... So the the lies are spread so much by the LeBron James of the world, and yes, the celebrities in the entertainment industry, they try to pull that stuff yet again on Oscar night. Yeah, and we're seeing what's happening here. We're seeing cities burn, people getting killed, billions of dollars in damage being done. But more importantly, or just as importantly, is we are dividing our country in a way that at some point could become irreparable. Now, I happen to be an optimist. I don't think it's going to happen. But as I said before, we're at a dangerous point, and people are pouring gasoline on the fire either malevolently or ignorantly. Either one is inexcusable. And I'll say again... Blacks are actually less likely to be shot by cops than white perpetrators are on a proportional basis that is based on involvement in crime, less likely. In fact, a couple of other things. Black cops are 3.3 times more likely to shoot a black suspect than white cops. Common sense dictates that black white cops are petrified of pulling their service revolver in a situation like this because they've seen what's happened to them over the last number of years. What does that do? It causes the Ferguson effect that Heather McDonald has talked about for a long time, withdrawing of policing, and now you've got consent decrees coming down from the Biden administration, which means that crime rates are going to soar. We've seen it already. And what happens? More black people are killed far more black people we're talking we're not just talking a few more we're talking thousands more over a period of just a few years chicago alone we're talking about hundreds more just in that city alone in the last year because of this withdrawal from active policing this is nuts far more black people that because apparently lebron only cares about whether or not black people are shot because we've seen it just recently when, when it turned out that a white suspect had been shot by a, a cop, there was a, a brief demonstration until the demonstrators found out that it was actually a white person. So it, it has nothing to do with black or, or with cops shooting people. 
It has all to do with race and whether or not someone can make some hay out of racial division. Uh, We're at a a juncture in time when I think responsible individuals need to stand up and speak the truth every single time. That's why I hate to bore your audience, Bob, but I keep repeating these figures because it's important for them to get out. Because I maintain that if the truth was out there, if I thought... 2,000 blacks were killed every year by cops. I might be out there rioting. You know, it would be clear evidence sure. of some kind of manifest injustice. But that's not what's going on here. No. Yet our media is complicit in perpetuating this fraud. This you is keep, irresponsible. You, you keep repeating those stats, Pete. They're, they're important. As a matter of fact, uh, last Thursday when I hosted for Larry Elder, um, I had Heather McDonald on after you stood me up. I needed somebody to give me the stats. If you were, if I couldn't get Kirsten out to give me the stats, I went to Heather and she gave me the stats. And by the way, you know Heather is a very dispassionate, you know, very um, uh, in- controlled now. speaker, but she is. Yeah, she let her passion sound in that interview. She got angry. She's really, really getting tired of the big lie that we're talking about. Peter Kirsten out. Terrific analysis, my friend. Thank you so very much. Uh, I want to let people know that you will be sitting in for me one week from today, uh, hosting this show uh, as I uh, uh, go and retrieve my daughter from the confines of Hillsdale College. So uh, next Tuesday, I won't speak with you, but the audience will certainly hear you. And Pete, we certainly appreciate that. Thank you, my friend. I'm going to try not to jeopardize your FCC license. <laughs> Thank you, Pete. That's Peter Kirsten out on AM 1420. The answer will be back. Okay, 1057, wrapping it up. I've got time for a call or two before the uh, top of the hour. We'll go to Tanya in Akron. Good morning, Tanya. You're on the air. Go right ahead. Hey, Bob. This is Tanya. I've been saying for a long time, we need to stand up and stop being such cowards. Um, This is happening in our churches. This is not just about... Hey, Tanya, are you on a speaker? Tanya, are you on speakerphone or... Yeah, we got to have you grab that. It's hard to hear you. Okay, that's better. That's better. So much okay. better. So that's much it. better. Okay, so I've, I've said for a long time, we need to start standing up. You know, this is about the Imago Day, made in the image of God. You know, God did not make lesser than people. So when your church is standing, you need to stand up and tell your preacher to stop. When your priest is standing up, you should, tell, you should stand up and tell him to stop. We need to be at the school board. Because what this is doing, they're not just after white people. They're after Christianity. And we have sat down and just, you know, you wonder, we ask the question, how did slaves back in the, you know, 400 years ago get on boats and not fight? Now you know why. (laughs) They were just lulled into it. They were chained, but we're being chained. You know, I'm a black American. Okay, but I'm watching my fellow white Americans just go to the slaughter and let people just call them out. And I'm like, what are you all doing? I only can speak so much for you. But you know what it is, Tanya? They're terrified of of being, quote unquote, canceled. Guess what? Everybody, you need to figure out what you're going to die for. Okay, you're going to allow your kids, your grandkids to be enslaved. Because you didn't have the guts to open your mouth. No, today you you and let are listen, Tanya, you. Tanya, Tanya. You are right. I don't disagree one iota. But the hard part is, do I want my kids to suffer through that? But also, do I want my kids to eat their next meal if I get fired from my job for standing up and speaking out against this and on behalf Stop of being, 
Okay, I guess my point is we <laughs> need to stop believing the lie. It's more of us than them. I, I, I totally agree. Tanya, great call as always. You call me back tomorrow. I want to hear more from you. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day.